0: Welcome to the FNO InsurTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsurTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller.
1: Hey, podcast world, welcome to a Around the Holidays edition of FNO Tech. Yeah. I'm the cute one. The cute one, Rob Beller. That's the smart one, Lee Boyd.
2: (laughs) Thanks, I got you. Wrapping up
1: 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Wrapping up our fifth year. Mm. Fifth year. That's a long time. We have been doing this a long time we started in just about January of 19 maybe late 18 and,
2: and I want to say we we pushed it out in January January of 19 yeah
1: January of 19 it went on the airwaves and here we still are they can't get rid
2: of us they can't remember those remember those first those first few days of planning and thinking about getting like big names on the podcast and we had this wish list remember that?
1: Uh, Yes. In fact, I do, because I made the wish list because I couldn't get you guys to do anything to help me at all.
2: (laughs) That is so true. Because you guys didn't believe in this. No, I I did not believe in it. You totally Uh, didn't believe in it. That was an interesting concept, but I didn't ever see it lasting five years. I didn't see it lasting five episodes.
1: And how many great things have come out of it? for you. See what a wonderful gift this was. What a wonderful holiday present I gave you.
2: You you did. And I will say there have been many times when I've been like is it worth it? Do you know, do do people really want us to keep doing this? You have found a way to keep it going, to keep me motivated. And I appreciate that. Thank you, Rob.
1: Well, it's a pleasure and it's a bigger pleasure to have the particular guests that we have on today, because as you were saying, as I was saying, he was on the original list of must have people.
2: Yeah. If we could have these people, our podcast has made it.
1: Mm -hmm. That
2: is, that's kind of how we looked at it. Mm -hmm. We
1: had, and we had a number of uh, small, very small number, maybe five or seven people that we thought are must haves. Yeah, yeah. One of them was this guy that we have on today.
2: And he he was a must-have then and he is a must-have now. And that's we have today. Are you are you is
1: everybody sitting down? Are you should be? Okay, here it is. Jim Loveland, founder and CEO at Loveland Innovations, long time industry, big shot. Big
2: shot. Big
1: name. Former president CEO of Exactware. Yeah. His father founded the company. Uh, this man has been in, in suretech his entire career for decades and has perspective and uh, knowledge that most of us could only wish to to have.
2: And he has agreed to come on the podcast today. And I cannot wait to visit with him. We're going to talk about the past and we're going to talk about uh, the current state of Loveland Innovations. We're going to talk about its eight-year journey of where it's been and and where it is today and a little bit of a glimpse into the future and some helpful tips for for entrepreneurs. He is a delight to talk to and one of my very favorite people in the industry. I'm always excited to see Jim at a at a conference or an event. And I'm so happy that he's on today.
1: Right. And so today's episode's a little bit extended because when you get when you have on somebody like Jim Loveland it takes time to cover it all, but I encourage you to be patient. There's amazing stories, interesting insights, mm-hmm. and and most importantly, all kinds of great information about the company that he founded and that right. is now operating uh, successfully in the insurance claims, property insurance claims space, as well as other verticals. So right. if we could get you to stop talking.
2: Yeah, my bad. My
1: we bad. will, without further ado get to our interview with Jim Loveland, CEO and founder of Loveland Innovations. Hey, everybody. We're here with, I don't even know what words to use. Uh, the, uh, the. Luminary, legend. Mm-hmm. Did I believe anything out, Lee? Uh,
2: the young grandfather of venture tech, Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. No, He's been around for a long time in the space. No, 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 no. Sorry, everybody. Scratch that one. Um, I said the young. The one and only Jim
1: Loveland, founder, CEO of Loveland Innovations, maybe the one of the longest tenured pers- persons in insurtech that there is today, who's walking around on the face of the earth, I think is a fair statement. Jim has been in the insurance technology space about as long as there's been insurance technology. That's right. So we're honored and privileged to have you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Welcome, Jim.
0: Thank you so much, Rob Lee. Wow. Thank you for the kind and very (laughs) gracious and I will say most unique introduction that I've ever had. In my life and in I'm my good. long career in the right. tech industry. Right. So thanks, guys. Right that. I don't think well, I'm going to forget that, Lee. Young grandfather. Young that may grandfather. Be, uh, Young I've grandfather. Got, uh, yeah. I've got four kids and the two oldest just got married this last fall. So I may do that one at Young. some
2: stage. <laughs> at some stage, we'll save that one. You know, yes. we can, we can
1: edit you. a lot of this out. So,
2: <laughs> but, we <don't> <laughs> but we don't have to. We don't have to. We
1: can't. Well, regardless. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. It's quite the honor. It, yeah, It's great to have you, and, and there's so many things to talk about with you that the issue today wasn't, what are we going to talk about, but more, what what are we going to not talk about because of the breadth of your experience in the industry, which is really, right. uh, honestly, in the insurance tech space, unmatched. And so w- why don't we jump in with, we'll work our way backwards. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. Instead of starting all the way at the beginning. But you know what? As, as an interesting hook, let's do this. Let, let's start at the beginning. How old were you? <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when your father? Tell us real quick what your dad did.
0: Well, I, uh, <laughs> boy, that's a great story in its own right. So my dad grew up in a very, very small town in Wyoming called Burlington, Wyoming, and population about uh, 100, 200 people, tops. My mom was from a place called Lovell, Wyoming, high school sweethearts, got oh. married when they were 19, had me when they were 20, had my brother when they were 21, very much starving students. So to try to make a long story short, he was an entrepreneur his entire life and did everything and anything he could to make ends meet. And so if you fast forward to when I was born, he was actually a broadcast journalist major at Brigham Young University. who was operating a, he started in framing, working framing crews as an entrepreneur, decided I can make a little more money starting my own business and did reconstruction work and started up a a company in the late 70s, early 80s called Loveland Construction. So my earliest recollections as a child was the reconstruction company. And, uh, you know, especially as a young kid and a young teenager, there was just a lot of fun jobs that I got a chance to go and shadow my dad and just be there on the job site. I'm a kid, so I'm either messing around or having fun. Or sometimes, when I was in my uh, young teenager years, I could jump in and do some fun things like tear some things down through demolition work and other type of work. So it, uh, you know, started with Loveland Construction, and then quickly morphed into the genesis and the very, very beginning of the exact word business. So we are going back a ways. And, uh, you know, my dad would tell the story all the time. In fact, he spoke a lot at the entrepreneurial school of business, well, the Marriott school of business, but kind of these entrepreneurial forums. And he talked about the fact that he was blessed with horrible handwriting. And because (laughs) of that, he would always take these handwritten scope notes to either give back to his office or to give to these insurance adjusters that he was working with to do these reconstruction jobs, and nobody could read his handwriting. And uh, he got burned on a number of occasions with that awful handwriting. And so being an entrepreneur, like most entrepreneurs do, he thought there's a better way of doing this. And so this was the early to mid 80s. So we're going back a long time, right? Yeah. (laughs) Personal computers are just starting to come out. But uh, he decided to hire a programmer to write in the old basic language, the very first version of Xactimate, which was run for the reconstruction business, Loveland Construction. Wow. And uh, that's kind of how this all started, the genesis of everything. So and he had a close friend of his that was a farmer's adjuster, That said in about the mid eighties, he's like, Hey, listen, I showed because he started using this brilliant piece of software and handing out these computerized estimates that people could now read for his bids. And he said, Hey, I showed this back to my home office and they want to buy this software. Have you ever thought about selling software? And here you've got this broadcast journalist major running a reconstruction company, and they're now telling him, you know, you got an opportunity to go sell software. So He thought about it, prayed about it, talked it over with my mom, (laughs) and they decided to sell off the reconstruction business and start a software company in 1986. Wow! And and there were 14 of them in the world. (laughs) (laughs) There were not many of them. The only one in the world, at least the insurance world as we know it at that point in time, this is going to take you all way back. You ever heard the name CompuClaim? I don't
2: know if I have.
0: I actually stumped both of you. I feel so good at this maybe, maybe I had
2: Isn't it, a, is it a, a, a content software? No, that was nope. the very,
0: you very first industry estimation software that was out there. And wow. uh, the old CompuClaim software, the challenges of that was you had to memorize codes for every line item. So if you wanted to go ahead and repair half-inch drywall, you'd have to memorize that that was like code 539. Or if you oh, wanted goodness. to, you know, replace the flooring, average grade carpet it's code, you know, 200 and whatever. So that's what was in the industry at the time. So in 1986, my dad decided to take a leap of faith, sold the reconstruction business to his brothers. I love my uncles to death, but cash flow management with any construction company can be a great challenge. And if you don't watch that carefully, you can take a company and put it out of business very quickly, which is what happened to the old love and construction. So that was out of business in nine months flat. Oh, oh wow. goodness and, gracious! and so my dad would talk a lot about the fact that that was also a real blessing because if he would have been able to go back to that business, not knowing how long the sales cycles were <laughs> in the insurance industry, yeah. he would have, he would have gone back to that. But in 1986, that was the beginning of the exact work company. And that was my dad, and one sales guy out of the basement of our house and my brother and myself doing anything and everything we could as young teenagers and my mom doing all the books. That's where it all started. Wow. Wonderful story.
2: That's amazing. Did it start out as as just a scoping platform to just kind of help make your scope legible? Or did it start out with adding a pricing component to it? Or is that later on?
0: Yeah. Excellent question, Lee. It's a, It was a little bit of both. I mean, it started out first and foremost and again... Being the entrepreneur that he was, you know, one of the things that my dad did that was really quite brilliant and it's still there to this day is he came up with a category and selector code for every line item mm-hmm. and said, you know, enough of this memorizing codes nonsense. We're going to come up with categories that make a lot of sense, right? Like FCC, floor covering carpet, drywall, yeah. DRY, you know, and the different categories and then came up with these selector codes that if you want to do half inch drywall, it's one slash two. If you want to do three eighths, it's three slash eight. And that's how he started. And then because he was a reconstruction contractor, he knew all of his pricing like the back of his hand. And so they just used it for that reconstruction business, but he started to expose his own pricing. But in the early years, I mean, it was basically... We had a van back in the day. This is the 80s, right? Vans were cool. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody had a van.
0: (laughs) If you say so, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. He would load up the van and he would basically do what he knew best, which is go talk to other contractors and sell the software to contractors. And you know, he did eventually land uh, insurance companies as customers, but he didn't understand how slow the sales cycles were, which is why he would have gone back. Uh, to the construction business, but it wasn't around. And the first major company, believe it or not, that he landed was in 1990. And that was State Farm Insurance. And that is another Mm. great story. I've never
2: heard of him. him. him? Uh, (laughs) I want to hear that story. I don't don't want you to stop. I'm very interested in landing the first client there.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a great story because they were using CompuClaim and it took them a couple of years to convince them that this is something that they needed to switch to and buy the Xactimate software. And they made the comment, there's a very well-known story and a very famous story. And this is just your quintessential entrepreneurial story, right? Like they got to the point where he had made it through the two-year sell cycle. They were th- ready to pull the trigger. They were ready to buy the Xactimate software because in the 80s, that company was just a software company. It transformed into analytics in the 90s. But they made the famous comment that like, hey, listen, we're ready to move forward with you. But we want to come out and visit you because we want to make sure that you're not running out of the basement of your house. <laughs> and guess what? Out of the basement. We, we were out of the basement of the house. Oh no. So um, what what he did at that point in time is over the course of a weekend, had a neighbor across the street, Bryant Safford, that had a small office building down in South Orem, just off of State Street. And he said, Hey, I need office space like stat this weekend. And so we scrambled and we set up an office over the course of a weekend. And we kind of mobilized this small team of people and got everything all staged and set up, and that was the very first office of the where business. It was Exactmate back in the day. Yeah, and that's uh, that's when they finally landed the first big insurance company. State Farm came into town. They didn't have to go to the basement. They came over and saw the office and landed the deal. Landed the contract. That's,
2: so is that is that why Orem is? I mean, is that still? Is that still the home of Exactor? In And I'm getting no. my cities mixed up in Utah.
0: No, no, you're you're right though, Lee. I mean, it was in Orem for a very, very long time. We uh, were in that small office space, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and then in the 90s actually moved to a larger Orem location at the mouth of Provo Canyon. Many people that uh, maybe listening, maybe uh, maybe remember that office space. It was beautiful. You know, my mom and dad owned that building, built that building. Architected it, designed it, and then we eventually moved over to a Traverse Mountain, which is more over in the Lehigh, Utah area, right at what we call that's Point the, of the one. one.
2: Beautiful yeah. views yeah. out of there, beautiful views. Yes, yes, absolutely. big building. So yep. th-
1: that leads us to talk about Loveland Innovations because really your DNA is being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, we have to lead up to that properly. <laughs> so. Exactware was kind of all you knew. Exactimate was all you knew, right? And you ended up spending a couple of years there, yes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, uh,
0: yeah, a couple of years. <laughs>
2: decades. Just a few. <laughs> I was about to say, I think it's a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, decades. So, yeah, it was, you know, it started in 1986. My official hire date was 1988. I was a junior in high school. And um, that's when I. Worked full time, but I worked full time for the business as I made my way through, you know, college. I got my uh, degree from BYU in computer science back in the early 90s. That's when I got exposed to this makes me sound really old, but it is what it is. Internet technologies in uh, sure. the Very very early in <laughs> 90s, right, and uh, that's where we created at that point in time the very the precursor to what's known as exact analysis today. It was called ExactNet back in that day, and we were mm-hmm. able to create that business to business networking uh, system and transform the company from a software business in the mid to late 80s into an analytics company in the 90s, and then you fast forward into the mid 2000s. Unfortunately, my dad ended up getting leukemia at a very young age of 53 Mm. and it took his life at age 54. Tragic. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, he's healthy his whole life and never had any serious, you know, challenges with health in any way, shape, or form. And all of a sudden at 53, he's battling leukemia and went through, you know, two bone marrow transplants with the perfect match in his brother, but unfortunately didn't make it. And uh, at the age of 34, I took over the family business as president and CEO. Wow! uh,
1: So you were a boy.
0: (laughs) It's funny you say that, Rob, because I remember um, before my dad passed away, just talking about you know the business, talking about life, you know, having all those you know conversations. And I am really grateful that you know I had fourteen months with him as he went through this battle. I mean, a lot of people lose you know beloved parents very suddenly, very instantly, and. You know, there's there's some blessings that came out of this, but uh, you know, one of the things that my dad was always a big proponent of is being in front of the customer and the relationships that are just so valuable in our industry. And I'll never forget going out to State Farm after I took over and meeting with a good friend of mine who since retired many years ago, Warren Ferrar, and uh, telling him, "I'm like, hey, you know, you know, I've got this. I've got the reins now. I'm going to take the the business forward and." He just looked at me and shook his head and goes, you're
1: the same age as my children. You're so young. (laughs) Well, really, though, Jim, in in those days, I mean, there weren't young people in executive positions in the insurance industry. It didn't happen.
0: That's correct. Yeah, you're right. That's much more common today. But back then, you're exactly right. This was, uh, you know, 2005. So, yeah, I was young. No question about it.
2: And that was, at the, that was at the heyday. I wouldn't say heyday, but that was at, I mean, technology is everywhere. And once you took over, I mean, it just explodes. It seems to just explode. I really didn't get introduced to it exact where until maybe 2006 is kind of when I started using it. But I mean, from 2006 to present, I mean, it just continued to grow very, very quickly. I didn't know you were 34 whenever you stepped into that role.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Lee. And, and you're right. And we were fortunate, even though we had talked about potentially selling the business as a family after my dad passed away, we never had an intention of selling the business. But one of the things that we underestimated was the amount of stress and pressure that it put on my mom's shoulders as the surviving mm. spouse uh, to own this business. And so we had a number of great companies that had always been talking with my dad about the potential of buying the business or, or merging with the business. And one was, you know, ISO, if you remember that name back yeah. in the day. And sure. Of course, sure. ISO has been in the insurance industry, one of the longest standing you know companies going all the way back to the rating bureaus in the 1970s. as the genesis of that business. And so in uh, 2006, we actually did end up selling to ISO. They were very different than what they are today. Veris was a great company today as well. But back then, it was being led by Frank Coin. It wasn't yet publicly held. They would buy companies, two to three to four companies a year, and then let them operate as very much independent standalone entities. And so it was a great opportunity for us as a a family to allow my mom to step away from the business and exit the business and then continue to grow the business. So in 2006, we did sell to ISO. And at the time, Frank Coin was the CEO and a great experience. And I loved working as a president and CEO for 10 years, uh, you know, basically after my dad passed away and growing the business exponentially. We grew it. Exponentially.
2: uh, Yeah.
1: Exponentially. I mean, I can't imagine how much you grew, but you went from being something that most companies didn't use, which was an estimating platform. When I started in the insurance industry, one of the first questions that you would ask in the sales process, or that would be asked of you is, do you know how to use Xactimate? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do, do you even know right. how to use it? Do you know how to and, spell it? Yeah. And it went, you know, it went from that to being mm. the major platform in the industry. And that was all under during your time of running the company, I believe.
0: Yeah. I, be it uh, it definitely became the de facto standard. I mean, there's still, you know, great companies out there as well, CoreLogic and Simbility, but for sure. I mean, when you look at the standard of the industry, uh, it's very much still to this day, the standard of the industry in terms of the customer base and what they have, and not just from an Xactimate standpoint, but also exact analysis that allows you to, you know, connect the, the claims ecosystem with so many different players, whether they're independent adjusters like Alacrity, uh, you know, or other players in the ecosystem, as well as contractors, staff adjusters, catastrophe adjusters, you name it. And uh, no, no question. I mean, during that period of time, it certainly became uh, the de facto standard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that guy so on I, the stage. Uh, yeah. And so I did that for 10 years. And, and, and in 2009, ISO transformed into Verisk Analytics. And so we went through an IPO on the NASDAQ market. Um, still led it by Frank Coyne at the time, although a couple of years after that uh, is when Scott Stevenson stepped in as CEO. And uh, I was part of that senior management team that was there on the NASDAQ floor and uh, you know That's went neat. through that uh, public offering. So it was, it was neat to experience that, to go from the experience of selling a family business to working under this ISO company who was at that point in time very supportive, but yet very hands off from a management standpoint. And then in 2009, we transformed uh, into various analytics, still with the exact word name, the exact word brand, mm-hmm. and went through that IPO and that public offering. In fact, um, you know, you may not know this, but that was the largest domestic IPO of the year in I did not know so, that. Very successful IPO. And then just the business, you know, little by little, when you become public, it kind of changes the culture of the company. And it's still a great company today, but it's very much a publicly held company. And I still have a lot of you know, very close friends that worked there. I still have uncles and cousins and aunts. I mean there's a lot of people that are still there with the Verisk Company. But back in, you know, 2015, I decided it was time, time for me to step away from that business. At that point in time, I was president of Verisk Insurance, which was basically I was over every insurance facing company inside of Verisk Analytics. And it sounds really nice to say that it wasn't. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a ridiculous amount of travel. They wanted me back in Jersey City about one week out of every month. Oh, if goodness. Been, if, if you've been to Utah, you probably understand why that wasn't uh, the most ideal place. scenario. Yes. But, you know, but the most important thing was that year was the year that my oldest daughter graduated high school. Oh, and I okay. had one of those big epiphanies, which is just simply, you know, life is too short. I needed to get off the road. I needed to recenter, rebalance and uh, start something new. So in October 2015, I left ferris Analytics. My wife kept on telling me, she's like, just, just take a breath. Just don't do anything until at least the beginning of the new year. This would have been 2015 to 2016. Uh, in December of 2015, I started Loveland Innovation. So I didn't
2: really heed her advice. I kind of
0: did, but you I did. guess I didn't.
1: You took two weeks off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a few weeks, a few uh, weeks. I was talking to Rob earlier and I was telling him that whenever you left Veririsk, it was like this this whole shakeup, not a shakeup, but it was like this, oh, what's happening? What's Jim going to do now? He's a young man. What's he going to do? And I remember, and I'm trying to think back eight, eight years ago or so, eight and a half years ago, I remember seeing the logo, Loveland Innovations. And I had no idea what in the world that meant. And that logo was out there for some time. In my head, it was out there for a year. It was probably out there for weeks. I don't know. But it was, it was like this teaser of Loveland Innovations. And I kept thinking, what is he going to do? What is this a new estimating platform? Like what? What is this brain going to do? And then we found out that you started Loveland Innovations, and. Help us understand, eight years ago, what was Loveland Innovations?
0: Yeah, that, great memory, Lee, because that's exactly what happened. I, so as I stepped out of Verisk, I actually had a number of individuals that uh, started reaching out and pinging me and just saying, hey, what are you doing? And when I started to describe where I was headed, there were so many exciting technologies that were converging at once at that point in time. Yes. AI was really something that I know we all are fascinated with AI today and it's really gone mainstream, but back 8 years ago, AI was coming out and starting to recognize and understand the tremendous value of AI. We started having, you know, drones and other types of devices in our hands, our phones that could capture ultra high resolution imagery and so I got really energized about the opportunity to take and merge several of these technologies together to help propel forward the industry from a claims inspection standpoint. And so we actually, um, a number of these people came out of Verisk Analytics and uh, started the business with me. And it's been great. You know, Darren Gooch was with me previously for a couple of decades, Leif Larson, who I've known since the third grade in elementary school is our CTO. Great guy. We had uh, three brothers that were brilliant developers, the Christensen brothers that, uh, you know, came out and, and started working, you know, with me. Me, Tad, Cam, and Dan, and uh, we built, you know, we went dark for almost 18 months. Okay, and, yeah. Um, yes, yes. And really just, and that was that stage you're talking about. That Lure. was that stage. Like, what, what, yeah. what is he doing? What What's, what's going doing? on? And, stealth uh, <laughs> mode, they call it, was it. Stealth mode. Yes, we were in that dark stealth mode. And, you know, my wife and I invested heavily in the business at that time to create the genesis of Loveland Innovation, which was both the software and the cloud-based technology to leverage AI technologies and the ability to capture data to help facilitate property inspections. And so it was really fun to go through that stage. In fact, we took out a number of patents today. If you fast forward to today, I think we've got uh, 22 patents, technology patents that have been issued and four more pending. And a lot of that harkens back to those early uh, years of the Loveman Innovations business. And so today we, we simply tackle and help assist with technology, the, you know, the claims inspection process or any inspection process that's in both the roofing, the insurance and the solar industries. And so, and Lee, and I know yours and Rob's history, you guys uh, got some really early exposure through 470 we back did. in the day. We did. To uh, imaging is the name of the uh, software offering that we provide and the, the platform. And it was fun to be able to work with you in those early years. In fact, that goes back to, uh, you know we probably had only been in business for about two or three years when we first engaged and started talking with you guys at 470.
2: It was right after stealth mode you came out and and two guys from your company were passing through Waco and they thought, well, why don't we stop at, at 470? And we we have some <laughs> friends there. We'll talk to them. And they weren't planning to show us anything. And I had just started at 470 as a, as the vice president of innovation. And right. and I said, okay guy, what do you got? What do you got? and they finally showed us and I was like it's a it's a drone thing right that was the moment when drones were like all the buzz everybody was like you know you no longer need an adjuster because you have a drone and and that was just basically what everybody was saying but what they didn't say was cool I got a drone up there but what do I do with it how does this work and they were able to walk us through and I got so interested in it that they let me test out the software I got my pilot's license and i even came out to to utah and and tested out some things and, and was in some kind of commercial at one time 8 8 years ago but yes
0: that's right i, I was. About that. It you was, were gracious it was, enough to do that for us lee that was fantastic. it was a lot to, of fun we need to post like a link on this podcast so that people can click on that and
1: see a a young we lee do yeah, when, drone. <laughs> when lee was young Oh, man.
2: In fact, Kevin, not too long ago, Kevin uh, had posted on LinkedIn. He posted a picture. I think it was a picture of me with the drone in that, in that video. And it reminded me that was, that was a great time because it was cutting edge. And at that moment, it was I, was I was saying this is, you know, at that moment, I thought this is a pivotal point. Now, it didn't necessarily, it's not always what I thought, but it was a pivotal point in data. In what AI can do and what you right. can get yeah. out of an inspection, I thought at that moment it might be, oh, it's a different way to to get up on a roof. But it was so much more. It was so much more. And through the the, the few years that we worked together, I mean, just from an insurance point, looking at it and saying, oh, it can it can measure roofs, it can fly drones automatically, it can tell you hail damage, it can start spotting you know patterns and things like that. It has just progressed. It has just progressed so far. It's really amazing to see.
0: Thanks, Lee. That's spot on. I mean, that, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm going to take you on the road, Lee. That's fantastic. <laughs> so
1: you you start this business. Why, of all the things that were out there, and I think Lee said it well. When when you were starting 15, 16, things were really getting very excited and heated up in the insure tech world. I think that's about the time the word came out and mm-hmm. things were popping up not just these direct to consumer you know insurance companies or insurance plays but all the tools interesting tools that were possible how did you settle on where you start the product and idea that you started loveland with and then i want to talk about where it's moved, how it's grown and evolved yeah that's such an excellent question i mean i actually you know,
0: at that point in time, I knew that I wanted to, you know, travel a lot less, you know, recenter my family, but at the same time, I was still too young to enter any sort of phase of retirement. So I, I, I had that, you know, entrepreneurial gene that's been passed along from my father and my mother and I just wanted to create something. I actually sat down and just jotted down a number of different business ideas. And hmm. uh, on a sheet of paper, and I still have that. And uh, there's still a lot of great ideas there, by the way. But the... <laughs> I was like, I borrow one? <laughs> Yes, but the one that just stuck with me the most is the fact that having built this uh, amazing business in the exact word business, you know, there's many, many millions, like by the time I left, I think it was doing, and I'm sure you can talk to Aaron Bronco today, and he can give the exact numbers because he's great at that. But there was, uh, you know seven, eight million claims, depending on the storm season, coming through that exact analysis network every single year. Mm-hmm. And I knew that of all the claims that took place in North America, nearly half of all claims involve some sort of roof damage to those claims. It's one of the most critical structure structures in our entire home. And from both an underwriting standpoint and a claim standpoint. And so Thinking about that, thinking about the explosion of these new technologies, these new capture devices such as drones or mobile devices that are capturing these amazing high-resolution images, AI technology that was going to enable us to automatically detect things like hell damage, which is the first problem we set out to tackle with Loveland Innovations, and knowing the archaic nature, you know. I hope that doesn't offend anybody out there, but it really is archaic, the fact that you have somebody still leaning a ladder against a roof, hopefully safely climbing that roof, especially if it's a steep and high roof. But hopping on a roof to do an inspection with a piece of chalk to circle all the damage that they visually see with their own eye to basically draw out 10 by 10 squares and then try to figure out if this roof's been partially damaged, not any damage at all. And it's still structurally fine or needs to be entirely replaced. And knowing that, you know what, there is just a much better way to do that than uh, than risking life and limb by putting people up on a roof. And so looked at these technologies and the opportunity to just really help advance that process forward. And that's what I got really excited about with Loveland Innovations. And I love hearing all the different stories that we get back from our customers about extending their careers by 10 to 15 years because they no longer have to get up on roofs or, you know, the customers that have been able to pay for the platform itself because they've been able to reduce their own insurance because they don't put people up on roofs anymore or the the horror stories of the people that have fallen off of roofs and either, you know, been severely injured or in some cases have died while doing, you know, claims adjusting work on top of roofs.
1: Yeah, people don't who don't work in that that field don't realize how dangerous falling off a right. roof is. For those of us in the business, we've seen the the, the terrible result that can happen. So it must have been very interesting, though. You looked out at this landscape. There's different tools. There's different things coming. I mean, you mentioned AI today. Of course, you can't turn on the television for a minute without hearing the word AI or the, the phrase AI. But in 2015, 2016, it was still kind of a fantasy, wasn't it?
0: You know, it, uh, it felt like it, but we had some brilliant people that uh, were on the staff of our business. And I didn't take your usual approach with starting up Loveland Innovations. A lot of people, when they start up a, a tech company, um, they're gonna just create a MVP. They're gonna find an offshore development house and they're gonna just try to put together something in a very bootstrapped way as soon as they can. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great way to go about starting a company. But because I had all these brilliant people that came with me uh, to start this business, we set about tackling this problem, you know, from day one. And so we started creating the technology ourselves. We knew about the, you know, the, the brilliance of AI technologies, the type of metadata that comes with the imagery that comes off of drones as well as cellular devices and what we could do with that. And so we started tackling this problem from day one and saying, okay, we can do this. We can build the technology. Obviously extremely excited about cloud-based technologies and what that could afford a startup company like ourselves eight years ago to do. I mean, you can, you know, where, if you go back in the exact years, you know, that was so long ago, we had to do everything on-prem and build out these massive databases and spend, you know, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars building these, Incredible server farms on-prem, whereas you just simply didn't need to do that anymore. And so we were able to set a you know set out to tackle this problem, you know, thanks to all the convergence of those amazing technologies all together. And so that was that was the fun part. Now you fast forward to where we are today. Yeah. You know, we've had you know inspections take place in all 50 states. We've had people and companies approach us and utilize our technology in some cases all over the world in places like you'd never dream of like Africa and and we're not a global business by the way <laughs> we focus on North America and in some cases Australia and Europe but we've had you know companies reach out to us all over the globe to use our technology and you know where we sit today we've had over 1.3 billion square feet of a, of roofs inspected over 35 awesome. million awesome. images captured and over 550 you know, predictions made across our AI engine of damage across all these different roofs and structures and so it's it's incredible to see the adoption of it and we're not just flying drones like we have a mobile uh, app called Imaging Inspect you can just download the mobile app and if you still want to you know climb roofs the old way you can you don't have to use chalk you just pull out your phone and you can take pictures using your phone and uh, still get the brilliance of our AI platform using just mobile technology.
2: I think that's a great point there, because I remember eight years ago, there was another company who was trying to compete in this in this drone inspection. Kespri was trying to compete. And the difference in, in your group and theirs was that you bought the drone, and the drone had the software. For your company, you had the software, and you could use a drone. Right, and i remember I remember being told by you and others that it doesn't matter how we get the images, right? Ultimate, we just want the images. that's where the technology is going, because smartphones are getting so much better, there'll come a day where, yeah, a drone will be great, but maybe you'll want to use a phone. So tell us about about the phone app it, it, it how How is that going and 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 what can somebody do with that?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point. So, you know, and Casper, unfortunately, is uh, one of those uh, insured tech companies that's no longer with They're us. They're no and, longer.
2: Uh, I remember quickly, uh, they were no
0: longer. Uh, yes. Yeah. And and they took on a hard challenge. Like they built not only the software, but also built their own hardware. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, that was a big drone that they built themselves. It was a and
2: big cost. It was a yes. big cost.
0: It's a big cost, it was a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, We were fortunate in that we made the right decision to Mm -hmm. just simply focus on the software and the software alone. And then the drone for us has always been just a capture device and we support DJI drones. Uh And uh, they're great technology, DJI continues to be the leader uh, in the drone technology. But we've evolved as a company to where we can capture the information using the imaging inspect mobile application and if you want to just utilize that to uh, go on site and to perform an inspection, uh, you can certainly do that. We tap into uh, data sources from aerial imagery providers as well as weather data. Do you? So yeah. you, can, you can actually show up on site with measurements, with all the weather information at your fingertips. And then you can pull out your phone and you can run the imaging mobile app and do the inspection on site through our imaging mobile app and uh, upload all the information, of course, to the cloud where, you know, the brilliance of our AI can take over. And, uh, you know, little teaser, one of the things that will be coming next year is we're going to automatically create the estimate based upon AI.
2: And no way. That's developed. That's not a little teaser. That's a big deal right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is a big deal. And we got a lot of our business partners that are super excited about that because we've been able to show them um, you know, the early precursors of what we've been working on and where that's coming from. And that's not just the line items, but that's also scope notes and so forth and so on.
2: Wow. I mean, that's the beauty of AI and, and, and doing what you're doing, right? You've already captured so much information if you tie into right. the right groups. I mean, that's the piece that's missing. That's the yep. piece that's missing. Well, that that's a that's another pivotal point. And that's what you
1: said when you said that you have I, I, thirty-five million or billion, whatever it is, images, <laughs> millions and millions of images. Your AI has learned, correct? Yep. You have an educated AI. Is that the right way to say? Yes. It? and that's that's exactly
0: right and it, it's 35 million by the way although Good, i love the you. billion idea but uh <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> patience patience but that but that's the key right like we've all seen those conference demos where they show you ai and it's like this image that they generated and it's the you know the guy that has six fingers or you know or just things are completely off the importance of ai is twofold i mean one is you have to know how to train your models i mean we have phds on staff here that are brilliant in, uh, you know, they've got a PhD in computer vision and machine learning and they know how to properly, you know, train these models. And we created this engine going all the way back to eight years ago to where now we can tackle different problems. And you have to make sure that as you train the engine, you do it properly with high fidelity data and in the right fashion. There's a lot of these different companies that are out there that claim that they're going to train these AI models for you. And it's like anything, like most analytic platforms, AI are the same way. It's garbage in, garbage out. So you have to make sure that you're training these models properly in order to get the outcome that you want and the outcome that you expect. And so we've created that process. We've been able to do that process. And then now because of the massive amounts of data, um, we're able to advance that forward to where now it can function on Mobile application capturing imagery data from the drones that are pushing up uh, the ultra high resolution imagery data from a, you know an average of five or six minute flight time for a residential property in the United oh, States, wow. and then be able to just you know produce the kind of information that you need to complete those inspections and make those damage assessments. But the AI is it's a phenomenal and fascinating technology, but at the same time it's a technology that's just a tool to be used in the hands of an adjuster. Right. Like it doesn't
1: replace the adjuster. It's a tool. Right. And, and so a lot has to do, like, like you were saying about the brilliant people that work at your company and who's behind training it and telling it and informing it and helping it along. Right. I mean, that that has to be a major advantage for you guys as a company that's been at this for a number of years. That's exactly
0: right. And in fact, we were just uh, on, uh, you know, showing a demonstration of the technology around our AI with a a business partner this morning. And, you know, one of the things we've done as well that's quite unique is we've actually exposed the AI from a confidence interval standpoint so that our customers and our partners alike can actually utilize it as a tool. So a lot of companies will take the approach that the AI results are like, okay, there you go. And they dump it in your lap and you're like, okay, is this replacing me or what do I do with this? You know, we've created this with years and years of feedback with customers so that it can be a tool so that if you're a claims adjuster and you're looking at the AI, you can immediately provide it with feedback saying, yep, it just completely nailed it. Or you can even change the confidence interval. And and you guys probably remember this from, uh, you know, some of the earlier adoption and yeah. use of imaging back in the 470 days. But you can actually set the default to, say, an 85% confidence interval And then if you want to see what it looks like down at 80, you can actually do that, or 75, or you can dial it all the way up to 95. And then it still allows you to provide the feedback to the AI engine and then make the determinations. Because at the end of the day, the adjuster is still the expert. They're still the ones that are making the decision about the claim and the coverage. This is just a brilliant tool that helps facilitate their jobs and make it much more efficient at what they do.
1: So when you were coming out of when you were in stealth mode and putting the company together and getting ready to launch, what's what's different today? I mean, it's such a dynamic time technologically. There there had to be things that you didn't foresee that maybe are working better or different, or opportunities that have arisen just in the f- past few years that have altered who Level and Innovation is today. Is is that correct?
0: Yeah, that, that's an excellent question and an excellent point, Rob. Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, eight years ago, if you would have asked me as I started Love Innovations, what would the future look like? I would have said you'd see drones in the sky every single day. Right. And the fact of the matter is it's it hasn't advanced as fast as any of us would have liked no, you still do. It's still more commonplace. There's a Part 107 process to become certified by the FAA to be able to fly drones for business purposes. But the drones certainly have not advanced as quickly as I would have envisioned. Now, on the flip side, eight years you know, ago, I wouldn't have envisioned that AI technology would go as mainstream as fast as it has been. And all of a sudden, we're now dealing with all of these massive ethical challenges and issues that are being wrestled with, with the likes of, you know, Google and Apple, and mm-hmm. you know, some of the Neuralink cool stuff that Elon Musk is doing, and some of the different uh, major players out there. To where now they're worried that AI is going to take over the world too quickly, and what are the ethical concerns that come with it? So the fact that we're understanding the benefits, because as we release the product. Uh, when it was first, you know, we established the company late, uh, 2015 and the product was first introduced imaging in March of 2017. In those early years, we had to teach people that it's okay to trust the AI. And so we had to try to instill that trust in our customers. Well, that's, you know, we've been at it so long now, we don't have to worry about that. And people are understanding that, uh, AI can be a really valuable tool and, uh, as long as you do it the right way, like we've done it, like we believe we've done it at Loveland Innovations, and you can trust it and you can use it as a tool. And of course, in those early years, everyone thought that their jobs were going to be replaced by drones and AI. And uh, I think they understand that that's not the case. It's
1: just right. a tool. There,
0: there aren't going to be adjusters.
1: No more adjusters.
0: <laughs> right.
1: yeah.
2: That was always the fear. Everybody left events going, Well, I'm out of a job. The yep. machine, get yep. over.
1: But yep. it's not Me. just insurance, right? Me. That's correct. Me. Yeah. What other well, about, tell, talk about talk about your other verticals?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a great point, Rob. We're in the solar space, the roofing space, and the insurance industry. And obviously, I've been in the insurance insurance industry for you know thirty five years. Love the insurance industry, but. Early on uh, in Loveland Innovations, we had all these different verticals on our roadmap in terms of I believe firmly in the bowling pin analogy, right? Like you knock down a head pin, and then you got other industries: roofing, insurance, you know, property management. There's all these other industries that can benefit from our technology. And solar was on the roadmap. We actually had a number of very large solar players approach us really early on in the history of our company to say, "Hey, we need this technology." You know, we're inspecting roofs as well, and they need to document pre-existing damage so they don't get blamed for the damage. They need precise measurements, and they need to know specifically solar iridians so they know where to place the solar panels. And so we actually went after that vertical a little earlier than we expected, and we've had a lot of success there. And it's amazing how similar that inspection process is to the insurance industry and the roofing industry. And roofing we love as well. Like the roofers... You know, we have allowed them to actually close more business because now they're flying the technology. And it's not just Joe Roofer saying, hey, trust me, you need a new roof. They fly, they utilize our technology, or or they utilize our imaging inspect mobile technology, and they're instantly able to show the homeowner what the condition of the roof looks like. They can turn on the AI and the AI identifies the damage. And then the Roofer closes and gets more business because they utilize our technology. So it really hits the sweet spot for all three of these different industries. And it's amazing how similar that inspection process is for all three
1: verticals. Well, are are they looking, I could see why on solar, they would be very concerned. uh, Where do we maximize the sunlight? Yes. You know, exactly. Does your product help them determine that? It does. Yeah, we've got a complete solar
0: irradiance capability with our product inside of imaging and so as we fly the drone and inspect a roof to be able to produce these beautiful architectural grade 3D models we show precise measurement we document and show pre-existing damage and then we actually provide a complete solar irradiance to show them exactly which roofs are the best roofs to be able to use which surfaces are the best surfaces to be able to use to install the solar panels And uh, it's invaluable, as you can imagine. I mean, one of the biggest problems the solar industry has is they're really good at knocking doors or finding other ways to sell people on the value of installing solar panels, of having clean energy for their home. But then there's this lag in time frame between when somebody can get out there, when they can inspect the roof and they can come up with the plan sets, when they can submit it for approval and then start the installation process. And they yeah. know the longer that process takes, the more likely that homeowner is to change their mind and say, you know, we're good. We're not going to go with you after. The iron
1: cools.
2: That yes. And that is so true. I had somebody knock on my door. They had me and I was ready to go. <laughs> and like three days passed. And they were going to come out on the fourth day, and I was like, mm, "I'm, I do not understand. I'm, I'm walking away. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it." And so I, so I quit. So you're right. Yeah. So the quicker they can get that, I probably, I probably would have made a, a decision much, much faster.
1: Yep, that's exactly so, right. So tell us a little more. You said the little preview about coming in 2024. Share with us why, as much as you can about what the product is and why is it, why is it particularly exciting? Yeah, no, because you know it's one of those things
0: where it's like we continue to just evolve and grow and, and head in directions that our customers have asked us to go. And one of the biggest questions that we get from customers all the time, especially with my background, is, mm. okay, this is great information. You've helped me identify that the roof is completely damaged and that uh, I need to come up with an estimate of the roof. Can you help me come up with that estimate? And that's something that we've got a great partnership and integration with uh, ExactMate, ExactWare, and Exact Analysis. Uh, That's something that we've had out there for a while, and we're able to f- flow and push that data back into ExactMate from both uh, a line item macro standpoint as well as an actual sketch. But what we're doing is we're working on being able to just automatically create that estimate for them. So we're already flying. We're already inspecting that roof. We're already using the mobile application to take a look at that roof. We already have AI detecting the damage. The next logical step is all the line items are created. All the scope notes are generated by AI. You can certainly go in there and adjust it because you're the adjuster at the end of the day, and that's your work product, but we're going to help automate that whole process for them.
1: That's huge. That, that's fabulous. Is is mobile today, uh, the mobile platform more important than the drone platform or more widely used? The drone platform is still more widely used simply because we've
0: had that platform out there since, like I said, all the way back in, uh, you know, March of 2017. Uh, The mobile platform released, uh, it's been about two years ago now since we released that. And that's continuing to evolve. uh, And that's something that we've got a great technology inside the mobile platform called the InspectList. That's also, you know, out there and available for all three of our different verticals. And we continue to just invest into that technology and to grow that technology so and we do have a lot of great customers and i can talk openly about it because he was with me at pir last year giving uh, a broad presentation to the audience there i mean country financial for example uh john butkus was there uh he's the vp of claims at country financial and a great friend of mine that i've known for a long time a great guy And uh, he was talking specifically about their company and the way they utilize our technology, and they use both. And you got a lot of great customers like that to where they have a team that will go out there and they'll be what they call their drone pilot adjusters, and they'll Mm -hmm. adjust using drones. And then you got a team that will also use the mobile app. And so... It's uh, It's been fun to just partner with great companies like that and, and see how they utilize our technology on both fronts to be able to automate that whole claims inspection process.
1: I noticed in the things that I was reading about you in, in preparation that uh, sales and marketing reports up to you. And um, so that means that you have some touch in what's going on in sales and marketing. And it must have been an interesting time for you when you went from from more or less selling exact wear, which, which I think from the outside looking in, in a lot of ways kind of sold itself. Its reputation preceded it. It was clearly the 800 pound gorilla in that market to selling something that's all new, all different into the insurance vertical, who yeah. on the best of days is slow, right? <laughs> and uh, you don't talk about sales cycle in terms of months. Sometimes, right? You talk about yep. it in terms of years. How's that been? Selling a totally new product and concept into the insurance vertical.
0: Yeah, it, that's. I love that question, Rob, because that's one of the things that I enjoy about having three industries in which we operate. Right? They're very different. <laughs> cell cycle. The solar cell cycle, for example, moves at a much quicker pace. And so does the roofing cell cycle than the insurance sales cycle. And we know that it's very much a blessing and a curse, right? Like it's a very mm-hmm. slow methodical cycle, but the fact of the matter is, is once you get through it, then you're a trusted you're business golden. partner yeah. mm-hmm. and you can really help through that partnership. Just you know, listen to the customer and and really help out with their business and you become that trusted business partner. And so it's been nice because unlike my dad in the early years of the Xactimate back in the day business who didn't really understand how slow the industry Mm -hmm. moved, trust me, I came at this with eyes wide open. You knew, (laughs) you knew it'd be a while. I I knew it'd be a while. I knew that it was going to take time, but at the same time, I knew that once you made it through that sales cycle, That you can become a really valued, trusted business partner for life. And we got a great customer success team here. We got a great product organization, sales and marketing team. We keep all those teams very closely aligned because we believe firmly in the importance of listening to the customer, especially in the insurance space and making sure that we can't, well, in all the spaces, right, all three verticals, but really understanding their needs and then responding accordingly, especially with all these exciting technologies that we have you know, out there now to, to be able to utilize, to help move forward, you know, workflows such as the claims workflows and other, other uh, workflows that are out there.
1: I have two last questions for you that I want to ask you before we go, because you're such a, you, you have such a unique perspective, such a long time in the industry. Number one is you've been involved in AI, relatively speaking, a very long time, using it as a tool. And today we hear all kinds of stuff about AI, from that it's going to improve the world, that it's going to ruin the world and everything in between. Does AI scare you? Looking at it big picture, share your thought on AI. Yeah, that's,
0: wow. That I, I think we could spend another hour on yeah. that. Yeah, sorry. sorry. We're We're
2: wrong. Wrong. I, I, love, that <laughs> I that?
0: love it. I love it. So here's, uh, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. And the first part is, no, it's a phenomenal technology that can really help advance industries. And then there's a big But, but you have flavors of AI that, you know, look up Neuralink. And uh, I had the opportunity. It's a phenomenal read. If you get a chance, Uh, I love Walter Isaacson's work. And he just wrote a a biography on Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliant read. I just read it uh, about a month ago. And uh, it touched on all these different companies. And one of Elon Musk's companies, and I'm, I'm not here to promote Elon Musk, but one of his companies called Neuralink. And he's literally taking AI chips and embedding them into the brains of chimpanzees and other animals with the intention of eventually doing that inside a human. So that's the but. If you're talking about AI in that form, that's where it gets really scary. And there are certainly a lot of moral and ethical challenges out there. I know that, uh, you know, you look at what Congress is doing and how they're trying to tackle it. And try to put in some safeguards. I wholeheartedly applaud that and agree with that because, you know, there are ways to take AI and to really use it to benefit industries like the insurance industry where we all operate. But there are other flavors of AI, like what's going on with Neuralink and a lot of other companies. I'm just highlighting one of many to where they're doing some stuff that could get, uh, it could get out of control pretty quickly if we don't put in some safeguards. And right. then you get into a lot of different moral issues. And so it's a fascinating topic. And like I said, it's something that we could do a whole nother podcast on. But uh, and that's why it's a two-part answer, because there is a brilliant flavor of AI that can really help all of us in our industries. But there's also
1: some really scary stuff out there, too, in terms of what people are trying to do with AI. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity at the PIR conference, PIRC. I spent a better part of an evening with Aaron Bronco. And we, yeah. and he kind of walked me through a lot of the AI opportunities on the positive side. And mm-hmm. it was extraordinary. Yeah. I, mean, he, as you, I kinda, know you know him well. You blew your mind there. It blew my mind. Yeah. He's a real, super smart guy. And, yep, I, kept, sure and I kept saying, I would, I, I would say to him, yeah, but, you know, couldn't that be dangerous? Right. And <laughs> uh, I mean, not to be, not to be the wet blanket on it, but it's an extraordinary thing. And it'll be yeah. interesting to have this conversation even five years from now. It and
0: will be. And there and there are some scary sides of AI even our, in our industry. When you think about fraud, for example, I mean, you could really use AI and I'm not advocating this, of course, but there can be a tremendous amount of fraud committed in the insurance industry utilizing AI. So I couldn't agree more. And you're right. Aaron's a brilliant guy. And uh, I'm sure that was an awesome conversation. And uh, It was. Yeah.
1: It was. That, Shout great. out to Aaron Bronco. Yeah. Fascinating. Yep, for sure. Okay, last question. So, the three of us were all at ITC a month ago yep. or so, maybe a little more. And uh, it must be remarkable for you to go to something like that, that you have the perspective of time. I mean, if they would have had an insurance technology conference in 2002, right, there would have been yeah. 14 booths <laughs> and, and 107 people in attendance. Right. And you go there, it's 10,000 people an expo area that's wall-to-wall. Just share some thoughts on what you've seen in InsureTech become and where you think it's going. And if you were an entrepreneur listening to this podcast, any thoughts or advice you might have to share to the next generation yeah. as they come up?
0: No, I appreciate that, Rob. And you're spot on. You're exactly right. I mean, you look at the you know the early years of this industry versus where we evolved to now. And it is exciting, right? Like the energy that you feel when you walk into an event, like InsureTech Connect and just you know, have a combination of all these different entrepreneurs and InsureTech startups all the way to the most mature you know, companies that have been around for a very, very long time in the industry to, frankly, a lot of VCs that are just ready to pump money into this industry because they see uh, the benefits of what InsureTech uh, type technology can do. And so it's, yeah, it's a great point because it has evolved, which is exciting And it's really fun to see the way that it is evolving. And of course, you know, when you look at that question, which is a great one in terms of what kind of advice would you give to anyone that wants to do some sort of insure tech startup? I mean, I see a lot of those type of companies that come into the insurance space, you know, and the number one piece of advice I'd give, which is simply good advice for anybody, but too many companies come into our industry thinking that it's going to be just like this other industry. And we have such a unique industry that you have to understand it inside and out first before you really tackle it. And that would be the biggest piece of advice that I would give anybody is either take the time to understand it or find somebody that understands it Mm -hmm. or hire somebody, right? That truly understands our industry because you see, and we all know people in this industry and they tend to stay in the industry because it is a great and phenomenal industry. It's why I've Mm -hmm. been in it. As long as I've been in it, it's phenomenal, but there's too many companies that pop into this industry and eventually pop out because they think that it's just like financial industry. It's just like you mentioned Kesbury back earlier in the podcast, Lee, They did aggregates and mining for crying out loud. Right. And they thought that they could take aggregates and mining technology. (laughs) Same thing, right? That's just like insurance. Yeah. No, no, No. it's not. And I don't mean to bag on Kespri, but you just really have to understand the ins and outs and the workflows of the insurance industry, whether it's an underwriting workflow or a claims workflow or even in the claim space, you got to understand the difference between an everyday claim and all the different issues that they're dealing with in terms of policy limits and coverages, or if it's a catastrophe claim and some of the different dynamics that you have to deal with in a catastrophe world. Anyway, long-winded answer, but great question, Rob. Thanks for asking that question. No, no. Great answer. So true. So true. Great
1: answer. In fact, we've seen, Lee and I have seen in the time that we've been doing the podcast that uh, we used to ask the question, are you an insurance, do you consider yourself an insurance company or a Technology, technology company. Technology company. And that's become a far more nuanced answer today as more and more people, more and more companies appreciate the fact and understand the fact that, oh my God, I need to understand the insurance business, not right. just the technology business. You might kill it in the technology business and you, you may fail in the insurance business because yep. of the, that lack of deep knowledge about it. Uh, I w- totally agree, and and listen, we've managed to waste an hour of your time. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed not it. a
0: waste, <laughs> not a waste whatsoever.
1: Rob. Just like <laughs> that, that. been phenomenal.
0: Just it's, just uh, like that, it was time, uh, time flies when you're having fun, guys. Yes, it, it does.
1: When, when we uh, started and we made a list of, can we even think of ten people? Can we All even right. come up with ten people? Five Could we even ago? do ten <laughs> episodes? Number one on our list was Jim Loveland. so to have you here is um, very is, true is a privilege, and we're very grateful that you made this. Well, day. it's a privilege
0: to be here, guys. I know you've done over 250 episodes. Congratulations. That's, thank you. That's incredible and happy to come back anytime. I uh, certainly love everything you guys are doing and this is a great podcast. So thanks, thanks for the opportunity to come join you on it.
2: Thanks so much, Jim.
1: Thanks, Jim. All right, take care guys. Worth the wait. What do you think? Worth the wait.
2: Worth the wait. I don't think he believes us that he was on our on our list when we started this Uh -uh. thing all those years ago. That Uh -uh. he was like one of the number one people to get. Totally worth the wait.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do an insurance technology podcast, how would you not start with you know Jim Loveland? And the guy is he's he's the godfather, right? He's the godfather.
2: He has been around from a very young age, uh, I love listening to his story. I hadn't heard a lot of the story, but the, the interesting thing about Jim is that he was able to be a part of the industry and then take a step back for a moment and go, I can go anywhere I want to, and I still want to be in insurance, and I want to be in this technology side, and, and he's there. I mean, he is a great uh, person to talk to about trends within the industry and where we've been, where we're going. Really Mm -hmm. appreciate Jim being on.
1: Yeah, and thanks to Kevin Wonder, too. We should send a shout out to Kevin. Thank
2: you, Kevin. One of my favorite people in the insurance industry. In, Uh, in, I don't know, all of business is is Kevin. uh,
1: Yeah, great guy. And thanks, everybody, at Loveland Innovations for making it happen. And thank you all for being here today. And thank you to our intrepid production team of Alicia and Al, whose Christmas present this year will be a thank you on air. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank y'all so much. Yeah. Yeah. Merry they're, Christmas. They're, they're both saying thanks. Rob. Yeah.
1: they're Yeah. Thanks for nothing. Okay. But seriously, <laughs> best wishes to all you out there for the holiday season. And until next time. Goodbye,
2: everybody.